Good morning, Christ Walk. How's everybody doing today? So good to see all of you. So happy to be with you uh, this morning. If you've got your Bible, you got a smart device, I want to uh, invite you and encourage you to turn with me or swipe with me. We're going to be in the Old Testament, um, the second book in the book of Exodus. We'll land in chapter 32 in just a moment, so you can stick your finger there. Um, today, we're in part eight of a series called Different where we've been taking a look at the core values of Christ's Walk Church. And this series in particular takes a cue from uh, a passage out of 2 Corinthians chapter 6, where the Apostle Paul writes this. He says, For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live in them and will walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among unbelievers. And separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things, and I will welcome you. And I will be your father, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. All series long, we've been talking about it's our core values that are what set us apart. They separate us from everyone else. And if we're going to make a difference, that first starts with us being different. And so far, we've talked about our core values of Jesus is our message, people are our mission, honor is our calling, authenticity is our lifestyle, generosity is our identity, servanthood is our posture, and excellence is our pursuit. And if you've missed any of those messages, you can go back and catch up by listening to our podcast, or you can find them on our YouTube channel. Um, but today, we are finishing up our series by talking about our core value God's heart is our passion. God's heart is our passion. I can remember my dad telling me a few different times a story of when he was in maybe kindergarten or first grade and the teacher had passed out a couple of coloring sheets to the class, both that had birds on them. And the first coloring sheet, they were supposed to color the bird blue. And so my dad thought that he would get a head start, and he colored not only the bird on the first sheet blue, but also the bird on the second sheet blue. Only the bird on the second sheet was supposed to be colored red, and so my dad get in, got in trouble simply because he didn't wait on the teacher to give him instructions. And even from an early age, and something that continues out over the course of our lives is the fact that you and I do not like waiting, right? Anybody? No, we don't like waiting. We want what we want, and we want it right now. And we will take shortcuts and cut corners and do whatever we have to do in order to get to that place. But the problem that we often run into is that God does not operate according to our timeline. And when we get ahead of him, we end up messing it all up. But it's a large part of pursuing passionately God's heart in our own lives that requires us to align ourselves with him and his word. And that often causes us to have to wait on his timing for things to come to fruition. I'm reminded of what the great theologian from Gainesville, Florida, Tom Petty, said. <laughs> the waiting is the hardest part. Or perhaps 
what G. Campbell Morgan said about waiting. He said, waiting for God is not laziness. Waiting for God is not going to sleep. Waiting for God is not the abandonment of effort. Waiting for God means, first, activity under command. Second, readiness for any new command that may come. And third, the ability to do nothing until the command is given. Waiting on God is simply doing the same thing that God told you to do last, just continuing to do that over and over and over with faithful obedience until he tells you to do something different. And then whenever he tells you to do something different, you do that thing with faithful obedience until he tells you to do the next thing. That's what it looks like to not only wait on God, but to pursue his heart with passion by simply just doing what he told you to do. And the Israelites, they often found themselves in situations where they were having to wait on God and they were having to put into practice this idea of simply being faithful and obedient to the things that he told them to do. And time and time and time again, we see how they failed miserably, right? In our passage for today, that's one instance of this. And, and just to give you a little bit of background, the Israelites um, at this point, they had been slaves in Egypt for um, over four centuries. And God raises up a man by the name of Moses to go in and to deliver them from Egyptian slavery. They, were, they followed Moses through the time of the plagues where God sent down these different plagues on the, on the Egyptian people, which ultimately led to Pharaoh allowing um, the, uh, the Israelites to escape. And um, following Moses, they crossed the Red Sea. God parted the waters and, and stood them up on either side of them. And they crossed over on dry ground. They saw Pharaoh and his army who was chasing after them be drowned in the sea. They crossed over to the other side. And now they find themselves at Sinai, Mount Sinai, where Moses has gone to the top of the mountain to receive instructions from the Lord. And the people have been told, just stay here and wait until I get back. And so they're there at the foot of the mountain and they see that Moses is at the top of the mountain and it's covered with smoke and he's there in the midst of the presence of God meeting with God to get those instructions and the people just have to wait. And so we pick up in verse 1 of Exodus 32. It says, when the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said, make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. And so Aaron said, take the gold rings from the ears of your wives and sons and daughters and bring them to me. All the people took the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. Verse 4, then Aaron took the gold, melted it down, and molded it into the shape of a calf. And when the people saw it, they exclaimed, O Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Aaron saw how excited the people were, so he built an altar in front of the calf, and then he announced, tomorrow will be a festival to the Lord. The people got up early the next morning to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings, and after this, they celebrated with feasting and drinking, and they indulged in pagan revelry. Verse 7, the Lord told Moses, quick, go down the mountain. Your people whom you brought from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. How quickly they have turned away from the way I commanded them to live. They have melted down gold and made a calf 
and they have bowed down and sacrificed to it. And they are saying, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Then the Lord said, I've seen how stubborn and rebellious these people are. Now leave me alone so my fierce anger can blaze against them, and I will destroy them. And then I will make you, Moses, into a great nation. These ten verses, I believe, reveal to us six things that stand in the way of us having the heart of God. Six things that keep us from having God's heart. And they're not just, um, they're not just steps. It's more like a slippery slope where one thing is connected to the next. And the further and further we go along, the steeper and slippery that slope gets. And so we're going to take a look at each of these six things that separate us or keep us from having God's heart. And then also take a look at some kind of introspective questions for consideration this morning. We begin with, number one, the first thing that keeps us from having God's heart is simply impatience. It's impatience. In the beginning of verse 1, it says, When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said, make some gods who can lead us. Now, Moses had been on the mountain with God for 40 days and 40 nights, and so the people are just there having to wait. And you and I, we know exactly what it's like having to wait. Many of us, we wait in traffic every day on our commute, or we wait in the car pickup line at school, or we wait in the checkout line at the grocery store, or while we're on the phone with customer support. Um, Husbands, we wait on our wives to get ready so we can go out to dinner. Wives, y'all wait on your husbands to finish that honeydew project you asked them to do six months ago or maybe even to start it in the first place. We wait in line at the DMV where all of the sloths work. We wait at the restaurant on a table. We wait at the doctor's office. It seems like our entire lives are compromised with us moving from one line where we're waiting to another line where we're waiting. And that just perpetuates itself over and over and over and over. And unless you're at Disney World or Universal, there is no fun ride at the end. It's just like a bill you have to pay. Like that's how we live our lives. And that often leads to impatience, right? Like think about just like just being at a restaurant and waiting on a table. The hostess tells you it was it's going to be 20 minutes. And at that 21st minute, you're starting to get irritated, right? And then 22 minutes and then 23 minutes and then a family that came in after you get seated. And then all of a sudden you turn into Karen and you're giving the side eye to the hostess. And you're pacing up there and you're looking over the hostess booth at, at the sheet that she has. And, and, and you're, you're just counting, you know, not, not out loud, but visibly enough that she can see you and be aware of what you're doing. And then it gets to 25 minutes and 26 minutes and, and you're audibly huffing and tapping your foot and things are getting really intense. And and then 32 minutes go by and they call your name. Finally! <laughs> right? That's how we handle ourselves. And what I've come to discover is that impatience often leads us taking matters into our own hands because we want to help speed up the process. Right? We want, it to, we want to get there. We want it to happen. And, and at every single turn, when you and I do that, it leads to disaster. 
it leads to disaster. And what I've come to discover is that, that God, he doesn't need our help in any of this. All he desires is for us to trust and obey. That's it. He's not looking for us to help him. He's got it under control. He just needs us in those seasons of waiting to not put our hand to anything and simply trust in what he is doing and obey in what he is telling us to do. So the first question for us to consider this morning is, where are you growing impatient with God? Where are you growing impatient with God? Because that's where this slippery slope starts, is when we get impatient that God is not moving as quickly as we would like in any one particular area. And then that impatience leads to, number two, it leads to ignorance. Impatience leads to ignorance. Picking up at the end of verse 1, the people said, we don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. What do you mean you don't know what happened to him? You watched him climb up the mountain. He hadn't come back down yet. That means he's still up on the mountain. What do you, like, it's crazy. It reminds me of, of uh, when, when I think of ignorance, it reminds me of a story of a professional golfer named um, Tommy Bolt who was playing in a tournament in Los Angeles. And he had a caddy that day that had a reputation of being a constant talker. Just all the time on the course. Just, he just wanted to talk, 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 talk. And so before they teed off on the first hole, Bolt told him, he said, look, don't say a word to me this round. And if I ask you something, all I expect you to do is answer back with either yes or no. So during the round, Bolt found his ball next to a tree where he had to hit under a branch and over a lake in order to get out onto the green. And so he got down on his knees and he's looking through the gap and everything, trying to figure out the shot that he's going to take. And, and he, he said, uh, he said hand, hand me a five iron to the caddy. And the caddy said, no, no, Mr. Bolt. What do, you, what do you mean, no? Hand me that five iron. And so the caddy handed him the five iron and he said, watch this. Rears back and he swings and hits the ball about two feet from the hole through the tiniest gap in the trees across the lake. Turns to the caddy, hands him the five iron to put it back in the bag and says, now what do you think about that? You're allowed to talk now. Mr. Bolt, the caddy said, that wasn't your ball. <laughs> See, Do Dr. Wayne Dyer says this about ignorance. He says, the ultimate ignorance is the rejection of something that you know nothing about yet refuse to investigate. The ultimate ignorance is the rejection of something you know nothing about but refuse to investigate. The people are saying, we don't know what happened to this fellow Moses. The guy who led us out of slavery in Egypt. We don't know. He went up on top of the mountain and he disappeared. So instead of us looking into that, they, they just quickly forgot all about the man that God had appointed to lead them out of Egypt. And so they decide, instead of waiting on Moses to hear from God, we're going to take matters into our own hands. Now, here, here's the situation at hand. They, they had been enslaved in Egypt for 430 years. And each of those 430 years, they were praying and believing and waiting on God to move to deliver them from their captivity. And now they can't even make it 40 days. They can't even wait 40 days. 
They weren't able to do anything on their own to get themselves out of the mess they were in for 430 years until God sent Moses along. And now they can't even wait 40 days before they decide, we've got to put our hand to this because God needs our help. And you see, it's interesting. Ignorance often disguises itself as arrogance. Ignorance will often disguise itself as arrogance. Moses is on the mountain receiving instructions from the Lord on how to to lead an entire nation of people across the desert and into the promised land. I got to believe that's going to take a little bit, right? The people, they were restless. They're ready to move. Come on, let's get this show on there. We got some sinning to do. Let's go. Since Moses can't seem to, to close the deal and make it happen, they decided... We're going to make it happen for ourselves, despite the fact that in four centuries, we came up empty. So the question for us to consider is, in in, in what area of your life have you decided that you know better than God? In what area of your life have you decided that you know better than God? Impatience, ignorance, number three, it continues down this slippery slope to impulsiveness is the next hurdle that keeps us from having God's heart, impulsiveness. Picking up in verse two, it says, so Aaron said, take the gold rings from the ears of your wives and sons and daughters and bring them to me. And all the people took the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. When I think of impulsiveness, I think of nothing other than Amazon, right? (laughs) Amazon, every single listing What does it have on it? It has a big yellow button that says, buy it now. You don't even have to put it in your cart anymore. All you do, you click that button. If you're on your phone, you just swipe to the side, and it'll be at your house the next day. Buy it now. Don't think. Just click it. It's all about just impulse. It's all about your your feelings. It's all about satiating that, that need for instant gratification that we have. Here's what I can't figure out. When I read this, verse 1, the people are disgruntled. They're having to wait too long. We need to, we need to do something. Let's, let's create some gods for ourselves. Verse 2, Aaron's going, give me all your jewelry. Really? Like it happened? That, like that was it? He was so quick to take action. Like it, he wasn't completely ignorant. He knew where Moses was. He knew what Moses was doing. He was there when Moses climbed up the mountain and said, I'll be back in in the meantime. You're in charge of the people. Aaron was the priest. He was the pastor. He was responsible for these people. And in one verse with no pushback, it goes from, we don't know what happened to Moses. Give me all your jewelry so I can make us a calf. That doesn't make any sense. But he was so swayed by the desires of the masses that he gave in to peer pressure without fight, without any kind of pushback, without any push to to reconsider or to simply be patient and wait on God to move. He, along with the rest of the people, they reacted based on their feelings rather than responding with the truth. They let their feelings take over. They let... Their their impulsiveness, their desire for something to happen right now, for instant gratification to take precedent. And so they moved forward into disobedience. And so the question for us to consider here is, where are you allowing your emotions to lead 
instead of the truth to lead? Where are you allowing your emotions to lead instead of the truth to lead? Impatience, ignorance, impulsiveness. We continue down that slippery slope that moves us away from the heart of God by arriving at number four, idolatry. Idolatry. Picking up in verse four, it says, Then Aaron took the gold, melted it down, and molded it into the shape of a calf. And when the people saw it, they exclaimed, O Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. No, they weren't. They weren't even there when you got out of Egypt. And we read this and we think it's ridiculous for the people of Israel to respond so quickly and easily to like how, how they just wavered in their loyalty to God. It's, it's many of us would say, stupid, just downright, can I say that word from the pulpit? It's just downright stupid of them to do something like this that, and, and worship something that they created with their own hands. Yet you and I, we do the same thing every single day. We do it every single day. Someone once said that today's idols, though, are more in the self than on the shelf. Like, in, in other words, today's idols are really an issue of the heart. It's, it's not like we all have golden calves, like, on the countertop in our home that when we wake up in the morning, we go into the kitchen and bow down to before we, you know, pour our bowl of cereal or whatever. Like, that, that's not what it's like. But it's, it's a heart issue going on on the inside of us. And, and, and the truth is this morning is that you and I, we don't have to build a golden calf in the backyard in order to have idols in our lives. We carry around those idols in our purses, in our pockets. We fold them up and slide them into slots in our wallets and our billfolds. We plug them in and make them the focal point of our living rooms. We go to them from nine to five every single day. We birthed them. These idols aren't something that we have to manufacture or create. They already exist. In front of us, and, and don't hear what I'm not saying. There is nothing inherently wrong with a cell phone or with money or with a television or a job or our children. There's nothing inherently wrong with that until those things take first place in our heart and remove God from the place that he demands. Bob Galdsworth's he has three basic biblical rules. He says that, that we kind of see this taking place over and over, this, this cycle and the different stories that we read and then how even the, the, the church and how it, how it affects people um, that, that we all live by these kind of three rules is that, number one, every person is serving a God or gods in his or her life. We all have something we worship. Every person is transformed into an image of his or her God. In other words, we become like what we worship. And then number three, mankind creates and forms a structure of society in its own image. And so what happens is, and, and you can clearly see this, is that when we begin to worship something that is other than God, we begin to take on the image of something that we were not meant to take on. And over time, because of our worship of that thing, we structure society and our everyday lives around that. And so we, we drift away from where things were supposed to be so that our culture and society resembles something that it was never meant to resemble. And it, it gets so far away from what God intended, all because we chose to take God off of first place in our heart and put other things there. 
John McMath talks about it this way. He says, that for which I would give anything and accept nothing in exchange is the most important thing in my life. And whatever that is, is my God. The thing that I would give anything for and accept nothing in return for, that is the thing that is the God in my life. And so if you have a question this morning, if you want to know, like, what's an easy way for you to figure out what God you're serving? One of the best ways to at least start that process is look at your calendar and your bank account. Because those two things are really solid indicators of what it is that you and I are choosing to worship. How we spend our time and how we spend our money. And so the question for us to consider is, what are you worshiping? Really? Like if you were being totally honest, what is it that you're worshiping? Really? Impatience. Ignorance, impulsiveness, idolatry. Number five, the slippery slope leads us to indulgence in immorality. Indulgence in immorality. Picking up with verse five, it says, Aaron saw how excited the people were. So he built an altar in front of the calf. And then he announced, tomorrow will be a festival to the Lord. The people got up early the next morning to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. After this, they celebrated with feasting and drinking, and they indulged in pagan revelry. They were no longer excited that their God-appointed leader was meeting with the creator of the universe on top of a mountain to give them instructions on how they were to make their way into the promised land. The one that had delivered them out of the land of Egypt where they had been for four centuries. They, they were no longer excited about that. Instead, they were excited about this thing that they watched Aaron make out of the jewelry that they handed him. In fact, they got up early. Ain't nobody getting up early. They got up early to go to church. We know people don't like to do that. That's how excited they were about this. They got up extra early to go and worship and, and sacrifice and, and do all of these things. And they had slipped into the indulgence of immorality. Immorality is simply the quality, character, or conduct that is evil or wicked. Exodus chapter 15, that's 17 chapters before where we are right now. That's not very much. The majority of that is taken up with Moses' time on the top of the mountain and God downloading his instructions into Moses for the people. But in Exodus 15, right after they had crossed over, um, crossed over the, the, crossed through the Red Sea, uh, the majority of that chapter is comprised of a song that, that Moses and the people sang together. And it's all about the goodness and the faithfulness of God. It's all about their pledging of allegiance and how they're, they're going to commit themselves to God and God alone. And they're going to follow his lead and everything. And here we are just a few chapters later. And they went from worshiping, singing, and dancing and pledging their allegiance to the Lord, that, that now they're worshiping, singing, dancing, and pledging their allegiance to something they created with their own hands. Opposite ends of the spectrum, whereas initially they were saying, we're, we're, going, to, we're going to praise the creator alone. Now they've come to where they're simply just praising the creation. That's where they find themselves. It makes me think of 
the greatest sports movie ever, The Sandlot. <laughs> where Smalls takes a baseball that's signed by Babe Ruth from his stepdad's office to go out and play a pickup baseball game with some of his friends and he gets hit over the fence and, and a dog by the name of the Beast gets it and it's ruined and so in order to bide his time, he goes and buys a ball from the drugstore and gets a pen and very crudely signs Babe Ruth's name on it in his own handwriting, puts it back in his office. But it was nothing more than a cheap imitation that would never pass muster under closer inspection. And we're seeing this kind of thing seep into the church more and more and more. We are seeing so many people just merely check off the church box. We're seeing so many people that on the surface, on the outside, they, they claim to be a Christian, but upon closer inspection, they, they ain't praying. They're not cracking open their Bible. They're, they're not serving. They're not giving. They're not inviting. They're not sharing their testimony. There's, there's zero fruit in their lives to back up any of their claims that they are a Christ follower. But yet they'll walk through the door once a month or so and pat themselves on the back for doing their Christian duty and then go back out and continue living their lives however they want to live. The Bible says that those kind of people, that they have a form of godliness, but they deny its power. And I know that, that this is not the kind of message that gets people to come back the next week. But I would much rather build our church on the truth of the principles of God's word than merely tickle the ears of the people who come. We're just playing games and, and checking off boxes. And, and, and a, a, lot of, a lot of church today has, is, is people who have simply replaced the relationship with Jesus with nothing more than a bunch of religious noise and fanfare. At the end of the day, it's a cheap imitation that will never pass muster upon closer inspection. And we wonder why the church at large seems so anemic against the onslaught of evil that is taking place in our world today. And this is why. It's because we're saying over here that we're Christ followers. But then we're living over here in indulgence and immorality. And those two things... Those two things don't mix. So the question to consider is, what are you replacing God with? What in your life are you replacing God with? The slippery slope that leads us away from God's heart, impatience, ignorance, impulsiveness, idolatry, indulgence, and immorality. And finally, at the bottom of that slope, we arrive at improper identity. We arrive at improper identity. Picking up in verse 7, it says, The Lord told Moses, quick, go down the mountain. Your people whom you brought from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. How quickly they have turned away from the way I commanded them to live. They have melted down gold and made a calf, and they have bowed down and sacrificed to it. And they are saying, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. On Time Hop this past week, there was 
a picture that popped up of Avery when she was two years old, and she's, she's in our kitchen in the house that we lived in at the time, and Sarah had been in there uh, preparing breakfast, and, and she had to leave to go get something, and she literally, Sarah would say, I only turned my back for just a second. And this is a picture of two-year-old Avery, and she's managed to get the step stool, and she's climbed up to the counter, and she decided she was going to help mom make the eggs. And so there's, there's cracked eggs, shell and all, in the, in the skillet and on the stove and on the counter and in the floor and in Avery's hair and on her pajamas. And she's standing there like, what? I don't know what happened. Sarah turned her back for just a second. And in that moment, Avery was able to make a huge mess. Moses was up on the mountain for 40 days. And during that time, he had turned his back for just a second. But sin had infiltrated into the camp. And now there was a huge mess. The, the Bible says that the people had corrupted themselves. Ultimately, what had happened is they were unable to recognize themselves as God's chosen people. Notice what he says in, in verse 7. The Lord tells Moses, he says, your people who you brought out of the land of Egypt. They're no longer God's people. They're your people. They're not my people. My people don't act that way. Your people who you brought out of Egypt. They no longer have a proper identity of who they are in the Lord. And instead, in that moment, they became like the pagan nations all around them. In that moment, they were just like the people of Egypt that God had delivered them from. There was no difference. And sadly, this is what we are becoming in the church today. And the truth is, if, if you and I, if, if we look like everyone else, why would anyone want or, or need to be a part of us? So you need to understand something. I can't speak for every other church, but I can speak for this one. At Christ Walk Church, everyone is welcome. Everyone. But holiness is the standard. Okay? Those are two difficult things for people to, for people to handle. Everyone is welcome, and we will meet every single person right where they're at, but we're going to love them enough to not allow them to stay there. Everyone is welcome here, but holiness is the standard. You've heard it said, I've said it myself, that you don't have to believe to belong. And that is true inside the four walls of this building and just with the people that go here. But the time is coming that if you don't believe, then you are no longer going to belong. Because the day of reckoning is going to take place. And we will be separated. And those who believe, those who have put their faith, their hope, their trust in Jesus Christ, that's what's going to matter. Because truthfully, it doesn't matter how often you show up. It doesn't matter what team you serve on, what life group you go to, how much money you put in the offering. None of that matters if you have not surrendered your heart and life to Jesus Christ. And so, yes, everyone is welcome here. But the Lord 
asking something of us. He's asking us, if, if we want his heart, we have to give him ours. That's what it requires. Warren Wearsby says this. He says, sin is always costly. And Israel's sin had not only led to the deaths of thousands of people. Here's the saddest part to me. But it had robbed the nation of the presence of the Lord. In the camp and on their pilgrim journey to the promised land. I'm afraid that there are too many churches today. I'm afraid that there are too many Christians today that are robbing themselves of the presence of the Lord in their camp. I don't want us to be one of those churches. And I don't want me or you to be one of those Christians. Somebody back there getting the Holy Ghost right now. It's anointing. See, I want to do everything in my power along with the help of the Holy Spirit to not become just a copy and paste version of the world around me. I want to be able to stand and truthfully say what Paul wrote in Philippians 3, verses 10 and 11. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want, to, I want to know him in his suffering, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I might experience the resurrection of the dead. I want to be able to say what Paul writes in Galatians 2 and 20, that my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So the question for us to consider is, where have we forfeited our identity in Christ? Where have we forfeited our identity in Christ? Because that's where this slope leads. Impatience leads to ignorance. Ignorance leads to impulsiveness. Impulsiveness to idolatry. Idolatry to indulgence and immorality. And then finally we arrive at this place where we have this improper identity. Where we, where we end up identifying more with our sin than we do with our Savior. Here's what Charles Spurgeon said about sin. Love this quote. He said, God never allows his people to sin successfully. God never allows his people to sin successfully. It may work for you for a moment, but eventually the bill will come due. It may work for you right now, but eventually the bill will become due. It may sound pretty grim, but you and I, we have hope today. We have the hope of 1 John 1, 8 and 9 that says, If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That's the hope that we have today that we don't have to continue living in our sin. We don't have to continue 
slipping down that slope that pushes us further and further away from the heart of God. We can take hold of his heart. We can exchange our heart for his today by doing something very simple. And here's the call. It's one word. Are you ready for it? Repent. That's the word. I said all of that to say that one word. I believe that's what the Lord told me to come and say today. Is that you and me, we need to repent. If you never hear me say another thing, hear me say this. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. Here's what I know to be true. I believe that we are on the cusp of experiencing a revival, not only in this church, but in this county. And the truth of that is, is that repentance always precedes revival. We'll never get to the place of revival unless we first decided to be a people who repent of our sin. That's not just asking for forgiveness for our sin. But that is asking for forgiveness and then turning away from it. That we're not going to continue to live that way. Instead, we're going to choose to live for something more. That's what positions a people and a church for God to pour out his spirit. That's what I want so desperately for this house. So desperately for this community that we are situated in. But it's not going to happen unless you and I lead the way and go first. By repenting. Today, maybe that starts with you once and for all. Finally accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You've been tiptoeing that line long enough. You've been straddling it. You've been him hawing back and forth. And am I in or am I out? It's time to jump across that line and never look back. If that's you here this morning watching with us online today. I'd love for you to just pray this simple prayer with me if you're ready to make that decision. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I admit that I'm a sinner and I'm lost without you. I believe that Jesus died in my place, making a way for us to have a relationship. Today, I follow Jesus. I choose to follow Jesus in his way for the rest of my life. Amen.